today we are going to be talking about the never-ending paper from Google on <laughs> on this continuous delivery, continuous integration, and what they have dubbed continuous training. This is the fourth installment of our uh, review of this paper, and it is a way for us to dive deeper into the different automations and how automated should you get and the maturity levels of different companies. What have we talked about so far in these last three? I can't even remember, David. Maybe. Yeah, we've talked about a lot. You know, we, we going back to the very beginning, we tried to break down some of the assumptions and uh, pre, whatever the presuppositions that, you know, the paper was kind of, you know, bringing into it. So things around, you know, they need to automate everything. Um, their own definition of ML ops. They talked mm -hmm. about the distinction between ML ops and DevOps, talked about the data science workflow. And then we took a closer look at these different data science workflows through the lens or these three different levels today, the last level uh, of like the, the basic maturity level where things are mostly manual, the first maturity level where things are now becoming, or yeah, second one, things are now becoming more automated. Uh, and then today we're going to talk about this last one where what they view as the entire pipeline is automated. So this is kind of the final installment of, of uh, the series today. All right, let's get into it. But first, roll the intro. Light, camera, action. Getting seen. Hill, can you get me some coffee? There's no more coffee. No coffee? No coffee? If I can't take my coffee break, my coffee break, my coffee break. If I can't take my coffee break, something within me dies. Something within me dies. Yes, something within me dies. And sing. <laughs> and we're back. I hope you enjoyed that cheesy intro. It's not every day or every video that you get the pleasure of seeing that. We just lace it in there every once in a while when we feel bored. So now, what do we got here, man? We're on level two, which level is really two. level three. Google really wants to make it confusing for us because there is a level zero. There's a well, one. It's, there's it's a very programmer-like because uh, most programmers are, are comfortable with zero indexing. So you start at zero. Hmm. Uh, which took me actually when I first started programming, that was not, I didn't quite understand why, but yeah, I guess this is how, how it goes. There but it is, man. So, but yeah, uh, let's start, let's get into it. So, one of the things that they're talking about here in this last section is that they believe that for a rapid and reliable update of not just you know one part but the entire pipeline in production, you need a robust system to enable CI and CD, which is continuous integration and continuous delivery. And Automating that lets your data scientists rapidly, uh, rapidly explore and try out new ideas, experiment with new things. And this could happen at many stages of, of the pipeline. So it could happen at the data level where you're playing around with new features and new combination of those features. So hopefully you have a feature store to enable some of that, make some of that a little bit easier. Uh, you could be trying different model architectures, uh, different parameters, hyperparameters. So you're at this stage of still experimenting um, but if you're able to quickly iterate, you know, on those things, it makes it a lot easier to get those ideas to production. Um, and they think that what you could do is you could implement these ideas um, by automatically building everything, automatically testing everything, and then automatically deploying 
not just a prediction service. So again, we've been kind of most most models of this show that um, you're going to put into production a single prediction service, so like some little service, an HTTP endpoint that exposes those predictions or make those predictions available available if you make like a get request or post with yeah typically a post and um if you if you're following this paradigm you're not just pushing that into production you're now actually pushing the entire pipeline so the beginning stages of that pipeline that take the raw data process the data generate the features train the model maybe even run a hyperparameter search and then uh, run launch your deployment um, service so it's all of that they're actually pushing into prop. Let me and, share yeah. my screen real fast because we have this, we have the different diagrams right here. This is Perfect. level one, right? Yeah, let's zoom in a little bit. Yeah, so that all people right. could get a sense yeah, of let's get where we're going. And yeah, by the way, you know, something that me and Dimitri was talking about is that we actually really liked going through this paper because we learned a lot, you know. Uh, oh. We wanted to see how all of these pieces fitted together. So I would, I would encourage listeners, if you have other articles or other papers that really give you this systematic overview of the different pieces and how they fit together. Mm -hmm. I'd really love to, uh, to read more of things like more of stuff like this. So please send that to us. But yeah, so yeah, this is the manual process. Um, again, we're not going to go too much into go back into this, but the, the char they characterize this as being um, very manual. Um, you're only launching your prediction service, and you're typically only launching that into your production environment. You're not launching anything, any of the training pipelines or any of that in your prod environment. So there's a big disconnect between your experimental and your production environment here. Go down and then to we're going level, to level one. Yeah, level one, they turn it up a notch by uh, keeping a link between the experimental and the production environment, which is really good. Um, you're now not just deploying a production service, but now you're deploying a pipeline. So you have that. Mm -hmm. They've introduced some new components, such as a feature store, um, a metadata store, so something that's keeping track of all the experiments that are running in the system. Model registry, doing everything. Yeah, model registry. No. Yeah, they do. They do. Yeah, so yeah. model registry. Um, and then, <clears throat> yeah, you're, you're, again, it's like the same sort of flow, but now you're trying to automate a lot of these steps. So you've introduced some things that enable continuous training. And the idea behind that, like we talked about, is that if some new data is available or some changes is, is made in the world, you should be able to reproduce a model that can then be directly deployed. So you want to be able to rerun everything from scratch and then produce a new service versus kind of having to ad hoc string together those different pieces that put that model into production. So it's a little bit easier to actually adapt if you're, if you're deploying not just a prediction service, but a pipeline. So that we can just run everything all over again, create a new prediction service at the end of that. And to what we're talking about today. Yeah. Now, now this day, this is for me, it wasn't such a big jump. Like you look at this jump and you go, oh, from zero to one, it's like, damn, there's a lot happening that's different on this one because you're deploying this pipeline and now yep. you've all of a sudden got all this happening in the production or staging pre-production environment and then yep. you have but from here so from one to two for me it didn't feel like oh this is so different right it's just yeah. like tweaking and polishing in my mind yeah and also that you notice they added some a couple of new components like packages so these packages there's something new that's here so now you're if there's and this is like again with Qflow in mind where you 
compile a pipeline. And what that means is that you take some Python file and then you produce, a, I think it's like a tar or a .gz file, but it's a, it's a, it's a compressed um, format of that, of that pipeline. And maybe you have even other things like other Python packages, other utility packages. So this is the stage where you prepare all those things. And maybe in a more manual sort of environment, there's no need for some of those things. You would add these things that get to add, you know, more not add more complexity, but maybe to, you know, like you 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 start creating new things to take care of one thing. So this does that, this does mm -hmm. that. So maybe that's what's happening here. Personally, I I didn't really. Um, the packages is something that I haven't really seen talked about too much elsewhere. Uh, it could be very, that to me seems like a super general thing, like what type of, and it depends on what type of languages you're using, right? Like how, mm -hmm. you know, the, the language works. But yeah, let's let's get into it because yeah. it's not so much about what's so different about it. It's like, kind of what's like, where is this, what's more mature about this from the perspective of Google with respect to automation? So there's a oh. couple of differences here. Notice how now you're doing some more, model analysis um, you still have some of the major components of that first level right uh, but now you have this other aspect that now you're putting in some packages uh, so let's get into it now yeah. there's some basic component uh, basic components but there's some necessary components that this uh system design i guess requires um, we're going to talk about some of them me and, me and demetrius are going to go back and forth uh, the first one is you need source control so source control is kind of talked about this a lot actually but it's when you can track and manage any changes to your code. And this is really important because you want to maintain a single source of truth. Um, and what this does is enables you to collaborate, right? So you have not just one person working on this code, but lots of different people. And that's that, that supports all of this because whether you're building packages or a pipeline, there needs to be one place where that exists for a, maybe a single model. Um, and maybe you have like a you know the type of use case where you have multiple models existing in like a single mono repo. Um, but if you're if that model is complicated enough, maybe it has its own little environment and has its own sets of packages. Uh, nevertheless, you need to have some sort of source of truth. Um, and then next, we have some test and build services. So you need it to enable this continuous delivery. You want to be able to continuously integrate that, and you want to be able to continuously test that. So if there is maybe Docker files that you need to build, right? You need to build some images. Uh, you wanna be able to automatically do that. So one way that I, I do that is, is using GitLab. And if I um, make some code base to master, some change to master, um, it'll automatic, once I push that, that change into master, it'll automatically rebuild the images and maybe release a new tag uh, if I want to. So it's, it gives us a way to, to automate some of these steps that you could do them manually, but it just, it's, it's less error prone do them in an automated fashion um, and then also if you if you're if you have this you know something like GitLab a CI/CD pipeline then you could after you build your images after you run all your tests then you could automatically deploy your uh, model into production now what that can mean it, it depends on how you deploy services so if you have like a, a Kubernetes setup maybe you have um, maybe you're using something like GitOps um, or maybe you're just doing kind of your own solo Helm deployments, or you're just doing, you know, your own Kubernetes stuff. But the point is, there's lots of different ways that you could do this. But if you have some system to automate the building, the testing, and the deployment, it makes you a lot faster, right? You can iterate a lot quicker. How about you talk about some of these other ones, Demetrius? Well, I was just going to mention, like, 
we had touched on this in one of the first episodes, I think, is how this architecture and the way that they're looking at this is very much like skewed towards if you have Kubernetes and if you are looking at like in a Kubeflow fashion, right? I think so. But I would also say that this could be generalized to something very different. So like if you want, you know, we, we know there's other orchestration tools or, or whatever, like, you know, things like Flight or we've heard about Metaflow that allows you to create a DAG or uh, Packager. I'm sure there's lots of different pipelining tools that could fit in with this model. And <clears throat> let's say this is not even, um, maybe you're not dealing with a, a Kubernetes cluster. Maybe you have some sort of other cluster orchestrator. At, mm -hmm. at, you're probably going to have different environments, right? You probably have like an experimental or dev environment, maybe you have a, a stage and a prod environment. So I actually think that the only thing that really skews, or one of the biggest things that skews it towards um, this like Kubeflow sort of, you know, way of thinking is around things like that, you know, they, they mentioned some aspects of a pipeline as like, you know, you should be able to compile it or you, you, you should be able to run each component of a pipeline as like a container. Uh, I think there's other ways to go about doing that, but it seems to be that that actually is pretty common to a lot of these other tools. Like most of, at least from what I've seen, a lot of these other tools will allow you to run some container as like a step in a pipeline. Um, or and maybe they do that for you. Maybe you have to do that yourself. But I, I don't think that this just applies to uh, to Kubeflow. At least that's my my take on this. Hmm. Okay. Cool. Well, I mean, yeah. What What do you want to talk about? You want to talk about the? Um... Let's keep going with what are these like? What What is required to have this? So we talked about you need source control, test okay. and build services. Let's talk about some of these other ones. Feature store, maybe, or even before that, even even before that, that last time. Let's too. talk about some of the other ones like the deployment service. Let's oh, talk okay. about the model registry. Let's yeah. talk about, you know, and then we'll, we'll get into the features and stuff like that. And the model registry is one of those interesting ones because I remember when we were talking with David Hershey from uh, Determined AI and he was just, he was mentioning how important it is. And I remember that when we would talk to people when I was at Dot Science and we would talk to like fintech companies and how big of a deal model registry was so that you could go back and you could see or even like at this moment you can see how many models do i have in production or what is going on out of all the models that i have right now which ones are in production which ones are in this stage which ones are in that stage so that if in case i ever got audited i could easily say okay these are the models that are running these are what's going on and you have metadata around that too, right? You're going to have things like what type of model it was, what parameters were used, mm -hmm. what times were associated with that, when was it created, what was it trained, right? Uh, maybe you'll have even like metrics associated with this. You can quickly see how this one is doing. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. You want to, so for the model registry, and then like I remember at Dot Science, one of the big things that we were doing was like the data that it was trained on, that kind of metadata that you could just be able to go back and the whole idea here is that you never get in that position where you're like oh how did i come up with this model yeah 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 you should never be in that position because it's just it's it's sometimes it can be really hard to get back to that stage right mm -hmm. depending on like how how convoluted the code is or how complicated the use case is right yeah well and i mean so like looking at this it's like you deploy 
these this pipeline and this pipeline does all of this stuff right like the data extraction the um data validation data prep which we talked about in the last episodes and then from there the model gets served but it also gets put into the model registry correct yeah and and we saw like before in each one of these in zero and one you have a model registry but it's a whole different way of looking at it uh when you so like you see it's still still the same kind of thing that is happening in one like you have the metadata store you have the model uh registry and then it it gets served and here but here it's just like for me there's this uh I guess there is a, a real this emphasis. A, and there's the pipe, this pipeline's in production. So keep that mm -hmm. in mind that like, this is, you see how they have like, before in the earlier stages, you would only have maybe uh, a pipeline to generate, to produce those trained models and push them to the model registry in mm -hmm. only your experimental environment. But if you have a production system where you're getting production data and you need to be able to train models using not just your experimental pipelines, but also your production pipelines. I mean, obviously this would be very closely related, mm -hmm. if not the same, but yeah. Sweet. So then moving on, I mean, we've got what we talked about, you know, train models go, they get served. Then here's something that's, I think this is a little different than the way that they architect it here, the way that they look at it here between number two and number one is that, oh no, actually my bad. It's the same. I got a little. I got a little bit yeah, confused these, there. These pictures are, are very similar. Maybe instead of focusing on the pictures, we could keep going on. What um, again? The not so. Well, we're, the biggest difference is just like they're automating everything now. Again, yeah. it's not so much like a big difference, like a different architecture. But yeah, so uh, they do have in the level one a feature store as well. This level it does have a feature store. And just mm -hmm. to highlight again for those who are listening. Um, it's what I, I like to think of a feature store as an interface between the data and the models. Um, so it's it's a way to, uh, it's like something that your model can pull from. Um, you could do it in your offline environment, your online environment. You could do it for experimentation, for your production use cases. There's typically several layers to it. There's been some really good articles that have been put out about what a feature store is. Yeah, uh, actually, I would encourage you to check them out. We'll put one that just was plastered all over lack uh from the folks at tecton because that was like a great definition of what you should look for in a feature store what exactly it is because i think there's not such a clear definition of it and yeah what is needed and uh and then the other thing is like feature stores man we you've been a few different coffee sessions we've had people talk about feature stores like oh we're looking at that right now so it seems like it's a pretty hot topic yeah it is it personally it, it would make my life a lot easier for certain things mm. if i had you know something like that because it's such a crucial part of like the the you know the typical data science flow like features are everything the data is what powers everything um, if you, you could have the model is such a small part the training code you know uh, and that's like a cliche now because we all say that, but it really is. And because of that, I think that it makes it only makes sense that there would be a lot of care and attention put into the features and the data. And uh, now we're, you know, there's there's starting to be definitely more more focus on that, as I think there should. 
Um, and there's, you know, there's, there's always going to be, you know, phases, right, where one is more hot than the other. But in general, care for your data, is, it seems like it's always going to be relevant, always helpful. Yeah. But yeah, so the other thing that I was just going to mention yesterday, we were talking with Satish, and he gave us yeah. a lot of great insights on because like feature stores, you know, they can serve it up or they can give you like what batch or uh, real time, right? Features. Yeah. And yeah. one thing that was a great takeaway when we talked with Satish was him saying like, be very mindful on what you need served up in real time yeah. and what you need batch because you can yeah. end up spending a lot of money trying to architect something that you need real time when really it's like, actually that could have been batch. Yes, yes, that's a great point because there's a lot of overhead in, in building, you know, a real-time system or a streaming system. And unless that the business actually requires that, it just does, I don't really see why you would want to, you know, deal with all of that complexity because it's, it's non-trivial. And, um, you know, there's, you know, you hear these war stories all the time about like the difficulty of deployment, standing up some of these tooling. Um, and yeah, it's, it's not easy. So I, I would, yeah. One thing yeah. that I've heard, sorry to just harp on this. No, 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 one, no, but, not at all. Uh, and I know you've told me it before. You're going to have to tell me it again because I can't remember. And it always comes up in my mind because I associate it with like food uh, and Uber <laughs> Eats. But like the freshness of the oh, features, yeah. is it the yeah. freshness of the features or freshness of the, of the data? I know there's so, the freshness uh, of the data. Both, I think both apply. So like you could have maybe one feature is is uh, is generated from other features. And if those other features change, so say the distribution changes, then that other feature could be affected by that. Or it could be a data source. So maybe that data source is, is affected. Maybe it's, it went stale, you know, again, thinking about those different changing environments. Um, and then you would need to get the latest data. So again, it's usually things that have time uh, a time component to it. So like, let's say prices for stocks or securities, um, their prices change all the time, right? Yesterday's prices are yesterday's prices. Today is going to have a whole new set of prices and they constantly change. So if my model is predicting today's prices, I can't have yesterday's data. Or I, I, have, or I, I mean, maybe I, I guess that, that may be one way to do it is that you have the ability, to, your, your model can generalize to the next day for a day at a time. I feel like that sounds more reasonable and definitely doable. Um, but maybe you also have a situation where you actually need to respond and train in real time in this continuous training to respond to those changes. And if that's the case, then this idea of freshness maybe even becomes more prevalent because you need to have the latest production data and your model trained on that latest production data. If not, then you get things like concept drift, which we mm -hmm. talked and so then it would be like the freshness of the features that are super yeah. important. Yeah, but I would say it, it, features is just the data, you know. So I, 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 it's just a, a, a useful form of the data for the model, mm -hmm. and and the model could even have a freshness to it, a staleness, like you, like we talked about it. If it, if it, let's say, needs to be updated frequently because of the just this, you know, the, the specifics of the problem, then that model can go stale. But so can data, right? Yeah. The data can be, you know, maybe the model is is still working, still making valid predictions, but one of those features is uh, no longer relevant because something changed. And that that you know, that's not necessarily a bad thing. You just yeah, mm -hmm. be mindful of, of like how 
how time affects the different components of your system. Nice. Well, yeah, man. Perfect. Now let's keep moving. Where, what do we got next? I mean, we talked a bit about the metadata store. Yeah. This is just I want to like, highlight what, yeah. what I think that, you know, not what I think, what the, what the paper highlights as what a metadata store should capture. So I think at a basic level, what ran. So if I'm looking at the system, I just want to know what, what's been going on, how many runs, uh, if I want to click on a run and see more information about it, that, that sounds you know reasonable. So you want to highlight at, a, you know, at the system level, what, what went on. Uh, you could even go more granular and look at the specific jobs that ran each of those steps, maybe look at the logs. Uh, so things like the start, end date, the execution environment, um, you know, did it run in, what node did it run in if you're using the cloud, um, what parameters are passed in, pointers to artifacts that are produced, packages, uh, trained models, data, uh, and then things like metrics and performance. Um, and I think this is actually a really important stage, and there's been a lot of love being put into this now on monitoring, and rightly so, because um, a lot of this stuff can be framed as just like engineering, right? But this, the, you got to look at the what's going on with your model, and one of the best ways to do that is through metrics, right? You have to. That's like one uh, one way to see what your model is doing, and there's all sorts of things that you could do to make those metrics very specific to answer the questions that you wanted to answer, right? Like. You know, if you're looking at a recommendation system, certain metrics are better uh, at summarizing the entire recommendation list. Others uh, give you a better sense of what's at the top of that list. So there's different ways to evaluate like your your model, but that's more of a science sort of like, you know, AI sort of science type of thing. But notice how it's like good engineering enables you to do that. Like if I have the ability to capture all the metrics throughout my system and if I'm recording that, in, in some way, maybe I'm plotting it over time. I have a quick glance, you know, at, at how things are doing. It's not perfect. You still oftentimes need to go inside and debug the model, introspect it, maybe use uh, model interpretability tools like SHAP scores. Um, so there's lots of things that you need to still do to look, understand what's going on, but metadata captures at a high level what, what's going on. It just makes it easier to, to reproduce experiments, rerun something, roll back to a previous uh, version of something. And, and, and to be honest, this happens all the time. So like, when like people talk about explainability, would that be part of this metadata store? I think it could. So like some tooling, like, you know, KF Serving has integration with tools like Alibaba that, or not Alibaba, sorry. Alibaba. Uh, is it Alibaba? I don't think so. That's the... Uh, it uh, sounds like that's a natural language tool or something like that. But they allow you to essentially like add another endpoint to that prediction service that allows you to add interpretability. So like it'll take like a sample of your predictions and then tell you something about your model. So I think that it could be part of the metadata because it's like, again, data about the, it's like meta data about the data that's happening inside. So yes, I think that that could fit there as well. You could even uh, include things around like the deployment metrics. So uh, monitor, maybe this is, Monitoring and metadata are closely related, but they may actually be like, you may have metadata at different stages and monitoring is looking at like a high level of that, which is kind of what this picture is showing. Like you see the performance monitoring, yeah. like it's not really focused on just, I mean, it is focused on the prediction service, but you could have it take a look at a lot of other parts and be collecting metadata about that as well. Um, yeah, so it could be as complicated as, as you want it to be. So the idea here at like the big picture zooming out is that I've 
push the model into production and I like forget about it or what? Like I don't, because everything is automated. So if the model starts to not do what it says it does, then it automatically gets retrained. If you have like automated triggers. So like, that's the other part that we talked about is that maybe also in this sort of architecture, you enable triggers that have uh, maybe thresholds that uh, say when you pass this, if you're not past this baseline score, retrain the model or get fresh data, whatever it is that needs to happen, or just rerun everything. Um, or it could be something like they skew, they're skew. So maybe you have uh, outlier detection enabled, concept drift detection enabled, so it could look more detailed and see are this is are the is this is the feature uh, distribution changing over time. So it could be it could be more involved like that, and it could that could be fully automated. But I don't think honestly, it, there always needs to be some oversight. Um, like I'm very even if you have a perfectly automated system, like you could be automated in the wrong direction. And I've, I've done this myself. Where like, I've automated the shit out of everything. Like, oh, this is sweet. But like, I'm doing something wrong. And that's why I think it's important to highlight that this is not just engineering. There's a lot of science here. And that, that, that makes this a lot more than just, I just need to let it go and run. Like, you know, because you have, you have this added element of complexity, you actually can't just leave it alone. It can't just run as like just its own thing. And I, I, that's why like, you know, people talk about like AI and taking over the world. This is a side. I just, I'm not convinced. I'm not convinced. Yeah, I think you always not need you to can not figure out how to put a regression model into production and get it automated on its own. Yeah, I just, yeah, I don't know. So I, yeah, I, I, even though this is like the, you know, the, full, the fully automated system, as they say, everything is running, you know, through the continuous delivery and all that stuff. Um, I still think that you still need people to, to monitor it, you know, like you mentioned earlier. Oftentimes in the monitoring states, that's where the real data science occurs. <clears throat> um, that's where a lot of things may happen, and you actually need. It's, I mean, it depends upon your use case. Because like if of you the have insights like, that you're getting, you mean like so once it's out there, and then you're getting yeah, all of this, yeah, this yeah, data you're learning how it's working. Yeah, exactly, man. Like I think we've talked about this before, but you actually really start learning when you push that into prod. You start learning about what the traffic is like, how your users are engaging with it, where your models is, is wrong or right. And I don't think that that's trivial. Mm. Like that, people act like, oh, it's it's just out, I'm done. Like, no, I, at least that's never been my experience. Like and, I, well, I, I, I have like yet to, yeah. That's why you have this whole, that's why I think it's, it's smart how they separated the experimentation and dev test part, because it's like, like we said, you put it out and this can be running and then you can just start getting those insights and like just one upping each time when you put a new model into production. So you have here, you learn from it and then you push it back out and then it can. Yeah. Yeah. You see how they have that, that model analysis. So you do data analysis, there's a feedback loop, right? So you see how it goes from like, from performance to then data analysis, performance to data analysis. And this is where yeah. I think why you need the data scientists there because, okay, I, as an engineer, I'm like, this is maybe this is, maybe this is not the case for everyone, but I like, I care about the engineering. I care about the machine and that it's running smoothly. That those are my concerns. And I like look at it as like a black box. Like it's just some, some algorithm and some data and it's complicated. I could go in and, and look into the details of it, but I'm not, I'm me personally, I'm less concerned with that. And that's why someone who is actually 
built, who's built it, who's developed those features, who did all that research, they would be in the best position to understand when it goes wrong. Like I like that's why you know they, they this whole idea of just give it to the DevOps team or the IT team or the deployment team to just deal with it. It's it's it to me it seems wrong. There shouldn't be such a disconnect between the real life deployments and and the people who are developing it. And I don't know how to do it's it's challenging because you don't want to make them responsible for everything. But if the engineering is done right, I think that you know that monitoring really is just them doing what they normally do, learning from their environment, learning from their experiments and getting feedback and using that to go do data analysis, using that to go do more model analysis and then developing new ideas that they can, if the engineering is right, quickly feed that back into production. So it's like enabling this quick, you know, loop of something's going wrong. What the hell is going on? Let me go take a look. Let me go make some changes. Boom. But if it's automated, then there's less, and if the engineering is taken care of and the abstractions are helpful, right? Someone who is less engineering savvy should be able to have all of that run smoothly, right? But again, it's the engineering that I think enables all of that to like, you know, happen. But it's not just an engineering concern. You see what mm -hmm. I'm, there's like, there's something very, you know, the, and, and this is, I've, I've seen it, especially at Benevolent. Benevolent be having some complicated stuff, man. Like we're talking about biology and chemistry and it's hard. So, and other other domains are even more complicated sometimes, right? Like it can be, this can be a very like complicated thing, but you're looking at like the easy part, the, you know, like the, the machine, which is, it, 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 it's, it's easy to, to, to forget that there's a lot of stuff happening underneath, a lot of science, a lot of really complicated things that can be happening. That's awesome, dude. Really well put. And so... Do you want to jump on to the next? There's another diagram in here that I think yeah. is interesting that they, they point yeah. out. Yeah. Like so this is characteristic. Yeah. So we've been going over the characteristics of each of these stages. <clears throat> and uh, that's what I'm going to go through now. Um, you notice here that there is these, the pipeline consists of these following stages. So for those of you following along, um, Demetrius is going to be looking at the picture. Maybe you can zoom in just a little bit more. Yeah, for sure. Um, Demetrius is going to be highlighting the picture. I'm going to be reading through some of these characteristics. So, all right. Uh, the first thing here that you should highlight and that, they, that you should notice is that there's a close link between experimentation and production. Um, so you, you should be able to iteratively try new algorithms. Uh, you should be able to do new things and it should be run as an orchestrated experiment. So like you shouldn't have to do this step and then that step and then this step and then that step to rerun the whole thing. It should be, I'm going to rerun the whole thing altogether. Um, and then the result of that is source code. So you do all this experimentation, you do all your development, and what you produce is instead of just a model, right? You actually have some code, like depending on what, what tooling you're using to produce that model should you need to. So this is very important because you're not, you're not producing just a training artifact, you're producing code that could generate that training artifact, okay? So let's hold on to that, keep going. Then you have the pipeline continuous integration. So you have the source code, you have your pipeline, right? Uh, you, you build that source code, you run all your tests, again, going back thinking with the continuous integration, continuous delivery, but the outputs at this stage now are pipeline components, okay? So this is where I say it's more Qflow-y. Uh, so for example, you, but this doesn't only have to apply to Qflow. I think this could fit in with other, other, uh, other tooling. Uh, so you have packages, you have executables, you have your artifacts, um, and all of this is like the byproduct of that, that then needs to be deployed into a, a specific environment. So 
here's where continuous delivery happens. Uh, you deploy those artifacts to your CI stage, right? To your prod environment, your stage environment, your dev environment. Um, and what the output of this stage is now is a deployed pipeline. Okay, so now you've just deployed not just a, 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 a prediction service, but an entire pipeline. Um, and it has the latest implementation of that model. So you have this automated pipeline, all right? Uh, real quick, moments almost there. Uh, then you have things like automated triggering. So something enables that pipeline to run again. Uh, it could be an external trigger, like outliers are happening or concept drift is happening, or it could be you have a new idea and you want to try it. Um, but, but the output of this stage is going to be a trained model. So you once you you trigger that pipeline to run again, the byproduct of that or the output of that that pipeline is going to be a trained model that's going to be pushed to your model registry, right? Yep. So you have your trained model, you have your uh, trained on your latest data, and uh, what's going to happen now is typically could like this monitoring, right? You're going to collect statistics on how your model is performing based on the latest live data. And the output of that stage is a trigger to execute the pipeline or <clears throat> to I'll execute a new, yeah, exactly. Or to execute a new experiment cycle. So you see how this, this feeds, it's like a feedback loop. Yep. Um, if, if you notice something in your live environment that's wrong, let's go back to the start. start. But if you have it automated, it's easier to get back to that, that endpoint again. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and that's what I think they're trying to do. And if it's if it's if it's manual, then there's room for error because you have to do this and then do that and things can go wrong in between. But if it's like all one thing, it's more likely to be less error prone. And that's what's one of the nice things about automation, right, is that it's, it, it gives you a little bit more predictability and reliability. Um, but if you're if you're automating it in the wrong way, then it could be a problem. So it's, it's very important be to be able to. Just a crap, just crap, an infinite loop of crap. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, let, let's recap the, the outputs. So wait, wait, yeah, uh, speaking of outputs, because I wanted to ask you about that. Like, I understand the source code. You're experimenting, and then instead of outputting a model here, you're you're outputting this source code. And I know there have been companies that are trying to attack like this problem of how model source code is not the best for GitHub or whatever, but uh that's a whole nother topic that we can talk about later and then you have the pipeline happening and they're outputting packages or um you also said other things to run like so it could be like yeah an executable is like, like some like binary that runs um and it could be also like other additional things to make your pipeline work and so i'm wondering do you have like that also stored somewhere so that typically Sorry, yeah, yeah, just so that you can go back and you can know uh, how that worked out. Like, I'm just yeah. thinking about like the reproducibility aspect of this. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, this would be, for example, if you're using a tool like GitLab, GitLab allows your pipelines to produce artifacts. So it could produce these packages that are compiled and it would be stored using the source control, you know, system that you have. So there's definitely ways to have this reproducible. There, um, I, I, again, I'm not so familiar with some of these other CI/CD tools, but uh, for any of our listeners, I'd love to hear about how how do you reproduce these packages that you need to. Typically, this is done in like the same place where my model code is existing. It's going to be in that same code base, just produced by the pipeline. And if I need to, I can just rerun that pipeline and literally click on it, and it reproduces the packages. Nice, nice. And then, so then yeah. Then right. you output the next stage, you're outputting this pipeline, which is automated, which is 
basically, if we go back here, you're outputting this whole piece. The audit, this the this the blue one right here. Yeah. Data oh, track. Sorry. Exactly. Big, too big of a circle. <laughs> you're just automating this whole thing All right this, here. Yeah. <laughs> this whole piece right here, which is the automated pipeline part, so that yeah, you have sir. the data extraction, validation, prep, training, evaluation, and validation again. Uh, and so, yeah, like when you when you push that automated pipeline, and now's when you get to the the part of the continuous training which yep. is basically getting... why they wrote this paper, right? That they're introducing <laughs> it, it's, this. It's a big thing. Yeah. Like they really emphasize like retraining, retraining, retraining. Mm -hmm. And I know that there's been some feedback um, in the community about this. And uh, yeah, I'm not going to belabor that point, but yeah, this is where now you get your fresh data. You have your deployed pipeline. You could run your deployed pipeline on the latest data and you could do that in a continuous fashion to produce new trade models. And once you have that trade model, you're going to push it to a registry where you could, you know, keep track of that, store that, you know, see that in a nice way. Um, and then the next stage is going to be uh, once you have your trained model in your registry, then you deploy your prediction service. Now there's some some service if you have um, that that sort of if that's how you're serving your model because there's other ways to serve it. Um, that's what's going to be happening. You have this prediction service, and the output of that is a trigger. So this is interesting because the this could look very different. Like this could be a manual thing. Oh, um, we the model is doing terrible. We need to uh, update it. Uh, oh, the we have an automate. We have like some. Uh, we have like this sort of automated system where if if it go if the scores go be below some threshold, uh, trigger retraining. So there's a lot of different. Excuse me. There's a lot of different different things that I think you could do at this stage. Uh, but the gist of it is that you're um, you're ha you're you're having something to start it all over again, and there's it depends on what what you know what your use case is. And I think a lot of data scientists that I've talked to really fantasize about this idea of just like continuous or like automated retraining. So it's like, oh, my model just gets triggered and then it retrains and it's all good, and we go back to that point you made earlier of like yeah that's great but you also need to be doing this whole part too like that's where the data science starts to happen when yeah. you go back and you're starting to look at this experimentation that we were talking about up here in this yeah. this whole section when you're when you have it out and it's in production but then you have like okay what can i do to better this how can i make this model better and then yeah. push it out again so yeah yeah, man, this is really clear to me. It's like there's a little circle or like a feedback loop happening here, right? And yeah. it's automated. You have, certain, you have certain tools to make that automated, right? You need uh -huh. something to build all the containers, something run all your tests. Exactly. You need, hopefully, you have like a feature store to, you know, to take care of a lot something of the, the data it. part. Yep. Uh, you have a pipe, some pipelining tools, something yeah. to string together these different components. Again, there's lots of great tooling out there available for that. Uh, metadata store or the metadata store. Registry. Yep, yep, yep. So again, we try to highlight, you know, what what they think of it as. But let's let's close up with the the major components of this maturity level, and it's CI and CD. Uh, why don't you start with uh, with CI? Let's because I would love to. I would love to recap uh what we mean by that unless you want me to take that i'll take it i'll give my yeah. best shot 
do your thing, man. All right, man. So with the CI, I mean, you see in the figure, it's it's really like emphasizing that these pipeline components are they're tested. The packages are built, or sorry, the pipeline components are are built, tested, and packaged when the new code is committed or pushed to the exactly right the source code right repository like a github or um even yeah yeah whatever whatever. we all know what those are yeah there's a bunch yeah so so (laughs) that that's something that is is super interesting how it's like all right that is the ci part how it's like the pipeline and the components they get built when they get pushed to the um to whatever your github or whatever yeah. And so then there's also the unit testing for your feature engineering logic. I think right. that yeah. that's the part that they mention, which maybe you can explain more because I don't know if I fully understood that. So the the code or the logic that was used to reproduce those features, if you don't have a feature store that has that logic stored, let's say you have your in your own model code base, you have a lot of logic and code to actually take this data from these sources, do what you need to do to it, then that that feature engineering logic or that feature generation logic needs to be tested. And the most basic test is a unit test. So there's a single unit of work, maybe it's like a, a single method or a function, that needs to be tested. Then you wanna see how all those pieces work together, then you need to write integration tests. And you maybe wanna make sure that there's, uh, a, 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 you understand the relationship between the your code base and the the apis that you're depending on to pull that data maybe you need some contract tests so it's just the 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 gist of it is that you just need to write tests for your code yeah just simply put and and that's what you're you have that ability you're doing in this this stage of the ci yeah because it 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 runs those tests for you so like what what this typically looks like is you know i'm writing my code do my thing um I'm, I'm just, you know, let's say I'm, I'm being a lazy programmer that day, right? So I'm, I'm there writing my code. Uh, I, I'm not really caring. I push my code, push it to master, um, but there's a bug in it. Uh, but it's okay. If I have CICD, all my tests are going to fail. So it won't actually merge into master. So things won't happen unless these tests are passed, right? And that's really, really helpful. And is that uh, and what that, they're trying to do too with this whole like CICD CT so yeah. the idea there is that like a model won't be pushed um, on accident or with a bug in it because it won't hit the tests. I think I think that's definitely something that they are. You know, it sounds like they, they really care about. And I think that's actually really good too because yeah, you want to fail fast. You want to mm-hmm. fail as fast as possible. You want to be able to um, you know like know as early as possible when something needs to be fixed. Um, and, and tests are the, one of the best ways to do that. They check correctness. Is, is this how I expect it to be? Uh, they test how things work all together. They, again, tests are really, really awesome. Um, I think someone asked a question about this in the community around like good testing practices for an MLE or for ML ops. I think those are great questions. Those are the, the types of things and, and skills that I think actually make you a better uh, engineer um, and they, they help you, you know, do better work because you're, you're finding the problems as fast as possible so you can address them. Mm-hmm. Um, it's boring, you know, it's not sexy work writing a bunch of tests, uh, but it's helpful and it actually makes a big difference. But yeah, the, right. the, the gist here is that 
you know, you're, you're writing all the tests. Uh, you could do something uh, referencing the ML test score. You could do a lot of simple things like testing your data, your feature schema, test if your model converges. So if you're training your model, does it actually converge after an epoch? Uh, make sure that there's no NANs or missing values in there. Make sure that you're actually getting the expected artifacts out of your pipeline. Like if you're supposed to be getting a compiled Qflow pipeline and you only see like an empty, you know, file or something like that, then maybe that, you know, again, it's some of those basic things and some of those more advanced things that could be happening in this automated way. Typically you want to, you know, like the, the things that I like to automate for like the CI are just like, yes, very simple things. It is my, are my features of the data type that I expect? Are they within the range of values that I expect? Is my model loading incorrectly? Like it could be very, but notice how if you're doing that manually, like, yeah, you could, but it's easier to miss that. So if you have it automated, then you always get that every single time you make a change. And not just you, anyone who's contributing to it. So keep in mind that that's why this is even more important when it's automated is that if you have a lot of people collaborating and making changes all the time, sooner or later, if, you know, there's bound to be conflict if, um, yeah, if you're not like, you know, having some of these automated checks in place. Yeah, uh, it's obvious because you may know what to look for better than somebody else and then they don't know and it just goes right past them. And it's also a lot easier. Like you said, the lazy programmer, <laughs> you're going to enjoy that more just being able to do it that way. So let's talk yeah. about the uh, CD part. CD. Of yeah, so at this level, uh, your system is continuously delivering new pipeline implementations. So new versions of the pipeline, um, and you're, you're deploying it to your target environment. So again, that, depending on what your setup is, you want to be able to do that. Uh, and this may be even more important if like, you have separate environments for different clients, which is something that's not uncommon. Like a Benevolent, uh, we have to create a whole new cluster, a whole new EKS cluster for a client. And it has its own environment, its own thing. You know? So like, again, if, if, if it's not just deploying it, it's being able to deploy where you need it to. Um, and then, yeah, what that does is that delivers a new prediction service of a newly trained model. Um, so what they, they talk about here is for enabling all of this rapid and reliable continuous delivery, you need a few things. One, you want to make sure that you're verifying the compatibility of the model with the target infrastructure before you deploy your model. So there's actually a couple ways to do this. Like there's some deployment strategies, like a shadow deployment, right? I want to just deploy my model into my target environment and just make sure that it, it, it handles the load that I expect it to handle as the last model. Maybe, you know, it's just a simple infrastructure check. Maybe you're using things like feature flags, um, or maybe you're doing things like a canary deployment. Um, it, again, it could be very simple, like testing the infrastructure or more, more complicated. Um, but whatever the point is, you still need to verify that what you have works, that it's installed correctly, uh, they have the right memory, the right compute, uh, if you have, if you need a GPU, that that's working properly, uh, basic checks like that. Then you could also do things like testing the prediction service. So call the API. Uh, do you get, do you have, do you get the expected outputs if I give these these inputs? Um, do you get the response that you expect? Uh, so there's a lot of things that need to go into there, just making sure that the prediction service is actually running correctly outside of things like you know the statistics of the, the predictions. Um, then there's uh, more like you know infra stuff, uh, like test the prediction performance. So like the prediction service performance. So um, maybe you're doing load testing, uh, ca capturing met metrics such as how many queries per second uh, or model latency. 
very important. You know, if you have like a real-time application, you want to know that stuff. You want to know if your model's super slow, how can you speed it up? Uh, and then here are some of these latter parts that I think are really important and they're more science-y. It's like you're doing validation of the actual data, mm -hmm. validation of the models. Um, and that's something that that's like a little bit harder to automate in my opinion. Like it's very hard to like automate those, some of those texts, especially if you have a, a, a complicated domain. But nevertheless, if you're doing continuous delivery, these are things that you should include to make sure that that's reliable. Like if you're automating shit, make sure that you have these checks as well, right? You know, not just these simpler ones, but also ones that, that validate like the quality of things. And so what I you're think, saying you know, like that it's, it's very difficult to automate that, but you should at least have some basic like baseline so that it doesn't correct. fully slip through the cracks or get like forgotten about. Yeah, it's like kind of what was uh, what Satish was talking about. It's like, just because it's hard doesn't mean you shouldn't oh, yeah. do it. And it, this is the context of a schema. It's like, oh, maybe this doesn't apply, but it's not always an excuse to like not do that. And it's kind of like the same thing here. Like, yeah, it's difficult to, to validate your model in an automated fashion, but um, it's not an excuse not to make some, you know, attempts towards that. Threat. Again, it may be fruitless depending on your situation. Mm -hmm. but, but something is better uh, than nothing. Yeah, I think so. I think so. Um, okay, and then these last parts is that your deployments, right? You, you you have either a fully automated deployment, you have a kind of like a semi a semi automated deployment, or it's manual. Either way, you um, you need to be able to to deploy that in a reproducible fashion. So there's a lot of interesting tools that are being created. I know a lot of companies are even creating their own infra teams to make that easier for data scientists. So like, if a data scientist wants to spin up a, a database for whatever reason it should be super easy to do that without them having to go into Kubernetes. So like there's a lot of interesting tooling happening in this space to make deployment easier, not just for a prediction service, but for the other things that you may need. And deployment is really hard. Like we talked with a lot of people working with Kubeflow, for example, about how hard it is to stand up that entire tooling uh, mm -hmm. ecosystem, right? It's, it's just tough. So depending and on your situation- And also another one that came through like more recently is which serving platform should I use? Yeah, like, should yeah, I use Cat yeah. Serving? Should I use TensorFlow? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Like, what, what, what do I use? And, and these Thousand. are, I don't have good answers to this stuff yet, man. It really, like, it's as always, it depends. You know, like, it depends. Uh, but yeah, why don't you? I think that's, that's all I have to say about this. And uh, I, I feel like you know, this has been the never-ending paper, as we said. So I think we're good to close. Uh, <laughs> just why don't you close this out, man? Yeah, man. Let's I let's just think about thing. what we've talked about so far. It's like we understand that there are different levels, there are different maturity levels, and it doesn't mean that it is bad if you are at the level zero, but there could be things that you can do differently that may make your life easier. And hopefully by going through this and looking at this with us, you can see like, oh, well, maybe I can implement that piece into what I'm doing and you can try to up your maturity a little more the other thing is like, it's not just deploying a model and having some kind of API with that model, right? There's so much more that goes into the whole maturity piece. It doesn't yeah. mean like, because I know there's a lot of companies that are just trying to figure out what data do I have? Can I do something with it around machine learning? And then once they do create something, if they do create something, because sometimes that's a total waste of time, but that's another topic if they do create something and then it's like, okay, now how do I get this out? And they get it out. And then it's like, 
there's so much more to it than just that, right? And yeah, we've seen yeah, that, that there's so many more pieces to this puzzle that you want to have in mind. And one thing that I think is, is really interesting that someone actually in the data on Kubernetes community told me is they said like, one of the best pieces of advice that they got is start small, like start doing it small and then like build your way up. But we have in our minds that, oh, I, I'm going to have all of my everything migrated to Kubernetes in 10 months. So I'm going to provision like a bunch of infrastructure for that. But then yeah. it's only like two weeks or um, one month into it you realize, well, this whole migration thing is going really slow and I'm spending a bunch of money on all this infrastructure because I thought everything was going to be over there. So that ties into what we're talking about here because it's like, just start with what you can, do it on this maturity level zero and have in mind like, yeah, let's get to maturity level one when we can and maturity level two when we can. But uh, like, I would look at it as just like a, very much like uh, building blocks that you yeah. can try not to form any bad habits as you're going yeah. to the next stage. Yeah, yeah. There could be an iterative path to this like fully automated scenario, right? Like mm -hmm. you can work your way up to that. Um, but you know what? I am open-minded to hear from others that maybe that actually isn't something you should work your way toward. Yeah. And I would love to hear why they think that. Personally, I, I can't really see why that's a bad thing like to have everything audit if it's done right. Um, but uh, nevertheless, yeah, I think that there is an iterative path to automating things. It's probably always wise to start simple. Very good advice. Um, I also you know, agree with that because it's, it's, it's almost simpler to add things later on, right? Versus like, I have to build everything now. Yeah. And usually it's, and I, I know this because I, I, I fall into that error myself, right? Like I'll be, I want to build a perfect system. I just got to be like this, got to be like that. But it's like, you know, maybe we just start with this little thing yeah. right here. Get that right. That's working cool. Um, and being being okay with that. But yeah, I, I, I wonder if, if part of the, 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 the problem is like unrealistic expectations about, yeah, like how long some of these things take to stand up. And I know that I've, it, it can, it's very hard to estimate how much time some of these things will take. Mm -hmm. um, Nevertheless, yeah, I wonder if that plays a role in that. Like, yeah, I think you need to understand that a lot of this stuff, if you're doing it on your own, is non-trivial, right? Like, maybe that's even a, another reason why a lot of people are using these managed services, because it is it's just hard. You know, you need yeah. a lot of expertise. You need a lot of expertise for that. Exactly. Right on, man. Well, thanks for going over this with me. I've learned a ton, and I appreciate you diving into it and explaining these more simple concepts. Because I feel like I understand it much more now. Like I understand the bigger picture. I understand where most people are trying to get to and why I feel like sometimes it can be so daunting because you look at that diagram or you, or you think about like how my little CICD production system is and it's like, mm, it's got some work. But really, like you said, it's just an iterative process. Yeah, yeah. And to close, we'll try to summarize uh, everything that we learned. I wrote a sentence or that's a paragraph for that. So right. here's our, our, our best summary. <laughs> uh, to summarize, implementing machine learning in production uh, in a production environment doesn't only mean just deploying your model as an API. Uh, rather, it means deploying the pipeline that you can automate for the retraining 
and the deployment of new models. Setting up a CI CD system enables you to automatically test and deploy those new pipeline implementations. And the system lets you cope with rapid changes in your data and your business environment. So you're able to respond to those changing business needs. Um, you don't have to immediately move all of them from one level to the other. Again, like kind of we've been getting at, you can actually gradually implement these things to help improve the automation of your system development and production. So there is an iterative path to maturity level two. Um, nevertheless, I hope, yeah, like I think uh, for, for me as well, it was I thought it was helpful to see a high level overview and, and me and uh, Demetrius are very interested in and in seeing other articles like this. So yeah. please send them, send them to us if you know it. Uh, yeah, other articles, or if you have anything that you're like, oh man, I want, I have something to say about that. Like we did it like this. You have some stories, come tell us and we'd love to talk with you. Yes, sir. All right. So yeah, man, I think that's good on my end. We hope you guys uh, have enjoyed this. Uh, Demetrius, always a pleasure. Adios, uh, senor. Bye, guys.